0: Hello, I'm Harry Glurikian, and this is The Harry Clarickian Show, where we explore how technology is changing everything we know about healthcare. My guest today is Eric Daimler, a serial software entrepreneur and a former Presidential Innovation Fellow in the Obama administration. And he has an interesting argument about math. Daimler says, if you're a young person today, trying to decide which math course you're going to take, or maybe an older person who just wants to brush up, you shouldn't bother with trigonometry or calculus. Instead, he says, you should study category theory. That's a field that isn't even part of the curriculum at most high schools. But it's increasingly important in computer science. Category theory is about the relationship between sets or structures. It can be used to prove that different structures are consistent or compatible with one another, and to prove that the relationships in a data set are still intact even after you've transformed the data in some way. Together with two former MIT mathematicians, Daimler co founded a company called Conexus that uses category theory to tackle the problem of data interoperability. Longtime listeners of the show, know that data interoperability in healthcare, or more often the lack of interoperability, is one of my biggest hobby horses. In fields from drug discovery to frontline medical care, we've got petabytes of data to work with in the form of electronic medical records, genomic and proteomic data, and clinical trial data. That data could be the fuel for machine learning and other kinds of computation that could help us develop drugs faster and make smarter decisions about care. The problem is, it's all stored in different databases and formats and can't be safely merged without a nightmarish amount of work. So when someone like Daimler says that they have a way to use math to bring heterogeneous data together without compromising that data's integrity, well, I pay attention. And on today's show, we're all going back to school for an introductory class in category theory from Connexus CEO, Eric Daimler. Eric, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. So I was reading your varied background. I mean, you've worked in so many different kinds of organizations. I'm not sure that there was a compact way or even an accurate way to describe you. So can you describe yourself? You know, what do you do, and what are your main interest areas?
1: Yeah, I mean, the the easiest way to describe me is, uh, might come from my mother. Well, where you know somebody asked her, is, "Is is that your husband, the doctor?" And she says, "Well, yes, but he's not the type that helps people." <laughs> so, so I, you know, I've been doing uh, a research around artificial intelligence, AI, from a lot of different perspectives uh around uh, my, my research in, in graph theory and machine learning and computational linguistics, I've been a venture capitalist uh, on Sandhill Road. Uh, I've done uh, entrepreneurship, done entrepreneurship. I mean started a couple of businesses which I'm doing now. and uh, uh, most notably, uh, I was uh, do it, doing policy uh, in Washington DC as part of the Obama administration. Uh, uh for for a time, so th- I am often known for that last part, but uh, my my background r- really is uh, rare, if not unique, for having the exposure to AI from all of those angles from a, a business, academia, uh, and policy.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was looking at the obviously the, the like you said, the one thing that jumped out to me was the uh, you were you know in the uh, presidential innovation fellow in the Obama administration in 2016. Can you can you give a, you know, listeners an idea of what is what is the presidential innovation fellowship program? You know, who are the types of people that are fellows and what kind of things do they do?
1: Sure, it was, uh, I guess, with that sort of question, it's it's helpful then to give a broader picture, even how it started. There was a uh, a, a PROGRAM STARTED DURING THE NIXON ADMINISTRATION uh, THAT'S COLLOQUIALLY KNOWN AS THE SCIENCE ADVISORS uh, TO THE PRESIDENT, YOU KNOW, a, a BIPARTISAN GROUP TO GIVE SCIENCE advice uh, TO THE PRESIDENT. That, THAT'S CALLED THE OSTP, OFFICE OF SCIENCE AND TECHNOLOGY POLICY. THERE ARE EXPERTS WITHIN THAT uh, GROUP THAT uh, know, KNOW EVERYTHING FROM uh, uh, SPACE TO CANCER, YOU KNOW, TO BE SUPER right. uh, SPECIFIC uh to in my domain computer security and i i was the authority i was the sole authority during my time uh, in artificial intelligence so there are other people with other uh expertise there there are people in different capacities uh you know i had the particular capacity i had the particular title that i had uh that was a a, a one-year term the staffing for these things goes up and down uh, depending on the administration in ways that you might be able to predict and and guess The, the people with those titles Uh, also also find themselves in different parts of the the executive branch. So they will do a variety of things that are not predicted by the the title of uh, of fellow. Uh, My particular role that I happen to be doing was in helping to coordinate on behalf of the president, uh, humbly, on behalf of the president, the the research agenda uh, across the executive branch. There are some uh, very able uh, people with whom I had the good fortune of working uh, during my time. Uh, during my time there, some of which are, are now in the in the Biden administration, uh, and again, it's it's to be a, a nonpartisan effort around artificial intelligence. And both sides should really uh, be advocates for having our research agenda and government be uh, most effective. But my my role was coordinating such things as really this is helpful the definition of robotics, which you might be surprised by as a reflex, but but quickly. Uh, find to be useful when you're thinking that the Defense Department's definition and use, therefore, of robotics is really fundamentally different than that of Health and Human Services use and <laughs> a, a, a definition of robotics in the VA and Department of Energy and State and, and so forth. So that's that it, we find to be useful uh, co- to uh, be coordinated by uh, the the Office of the President. And 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 experts uh, uh, speaking on behalf. It was started at really, or this this additional impulse was started after the 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 effects I'll, I'll generously call them of healthcare.gov and the, the trip ups there, right. where uh, uh, President Obama, to his to his great credit, uh, realized that we needed to attract more technologists into government. You know that. We had a lot of lawyers to be sure. We had, we had a lot of academics, but we didn't have a lot of business people, practical uh, technologists. So he created a way to get people like me motivated uh, uh, to come into government for short, uh, short periods of time. The, the, the idea was that you could sit around a cabinet, uh, 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 a cabinet meeting and uh, you, could, you, you would never be able to raise your hand saying, oh, I don't know anything about economics. Or I don't know anything about foreign policy, but you could raise your hand and say, "Oh, I don't know anything about technology." That needs to be a thing of the past. And President Obama uh, saw that and created a uh, a program, starting with Todd uh, Todd Park, the chief technolo- second chief technology officer of the United States. who's fantastic uh, to to start uh, to start some programs uh, to bring in people like me.
0: Oh yeah, and we believe me in healthcare, we need. We need more technologists, um, yeah. which I, I, I always preach. I'm like, don't go to Facebook. Come here. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you can get double whammy. You can make money and you can affect people's lives. So I, I, I'm i yeah. always preaching that to everybody. But So if I'm not mistaken, in early 2021, you wrote an open letter to the brand new Biden administration calling for sort of a big federal effort to improve national data infrastructure. Like- can you summarize for everybody the argument in that piece? And do you see them doing any of the items that you're suggesting?
1: Right. The the idea is that despite us making some real good efforts during the Obama administration with solidifying uh, our, our, our we'll say our view on artificial intelligence across the executive and, and this continuing uh, actually into the Trump administration with the establishment of an AI office inside the OSDP. So you know, credit where credit is due, uh, that extended into the, the, the Biden administration where uh, some very well-meaning people can uh, be uh, uh, focusing on different parts of the, the conundrum of, of AI expressions. Uh, you know, having various distortions. You know, the popular one we will read about is this distortion of bias that can express itself in really ugly ways as, as, you know, as individuals, uh, especially for underrepresented groups. The point of the article was to help uh, others be reminded of of some of the easy low-hanging fruit that we can that we can work on uh, around ai so you know bias comes in a lot of different ways uh the same way we all have cognitive distortions you know cognitive biases there's something like 50 of them right uh you know bias you know can happen around gender and ethnicity and and age uh sexual orientation and so forth you know it all can also come from absence of data you know there's a type of bias that's present just by being in a developed rich country in collecting, for example, with Conexus's customers, my company, Connexus' customers, where they're trying to report on their good efforts for uh, economic and social good, you know, and, and around clean renewable energies. They find that there's a bias in being able to collect data in rich countries versus developing countries. That's another type of bias. So that was that was the point of me uh, writing that open letter to uh, prioritize these letters is just to distinguish what the low-hanging fruit was versus some of the hard problems. The, some of the the, the the low-hanging fruit, I think, is available. I can I can say in you know, three easy parts that people can remember. You know, one is circuit breakers. So we we can have circuit breakers in a lot of different parts of these automated systems. Uh, you know, automated car, rolling down a road is a is the easiest example where you know it, it, at some point a driver needs to take over control to determine to make a judgment about uh, that shadow being a person or a tumbleweed on the crosswalk that's that's a type of circuit breaker we can have the circuit breakers in a lot of different uh, automated systems another one is an audit and the way the way i mean is an audit is having uh, people like me, or just generally people that are uh, 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 experts in, in 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 the craft, being able to distinguish the data where the biases can become possible from the data model algorithms where biases also can become possible. Right. And you know, we get a lot of efficiency from these automated systems, these learning algorithms. I think we can afford a little bit taken off to audit. The degree to which these data models are doing what we intend, and an example of a data model is that you know Delta Airlines, you know they know my age and my height and and, and it'd be, I fly to San Francisco to New York or or some such thing. Uh, the data model would be their own proprietary uh, algorithm to determine whether or not I am deserving of an upgrade to first class, for example. That's Correct. a data model. Uh, we can have other data models. A famous one that we all are part of is FICO scores, credit scores, Uh, and those don't have to be disclosed. You know, none of us actually know what Experian or or any of the credit agencies use to determine our credit scores, but they use these type of things called zero knowledge proofs where we just send through enough data enough times that we can got to get a sense of what those data models are. So that's an exposure of a data model, a declarative exposure would be maybe a next best thing, uh, a next step, and that's a type of audit. And then the third Low-hanging fruit, I'd say, the, around regulation, and, and I think these are just coming towards uh, eventualities. Is demanding lineage or demanding provenance? You know, we, you you'll see a lot of news reports, often on less credible sites, but sometimes on on shockingly credible sites, where claims are made that you need to then search yourself, and you know, people in a hurry just won't do it when these. Become very large systems and very large systems of information, large systems of automation. I want to know how were these conclusions given. So, in, you know, an example in in healthcare would be if if my clinician gave gave me uh, uh, a diagnosis of let's say some sort of cancer, and then to say you know here's a drug uh, by the way, and there's a five chance five percent chance of there being some awful side effects. You know that's a that's a connection of of causation or, you know, a connection of of conclusions that I'm really not comfortable with. You know, I want to know like every step, like, wait, wait, so, so what type of cancer? So what's the probability of a cancer? You know, where is it? And so what drug, you know, how did you make that decision? You know, I want to know every little step of the way. It's fine that they give me that conclusion, but I want to be able to back, uh, back that up. You know, a similar example, just in, in everyday parlance for people would be, If I just suddenly to say, I want a house, and then houses are presented to me, uh, uh, I I don't quite want that, although that looks like uh, good for a Hollywood narrative. I want to say, oh, wait, what's my income? You know, do I want to, or what's my cash? You know, how much, and then what's my credit? Like, how much can I afford? Oh, these are houses that you can kind of afford. Like, I want those little steps, uh, or at least want to back out how those decisions uh, were made available. Uh, That's a lineage. So those three things, circuit breaker, audit. Lineage. Those are three pieces of low-hanging fruit that I think uh, the, the the European Union, the state of New York, and other other uh, government entities would be well served to uh, prioritize.
0: Would love would love all of them, uh, especially you know the healthcare example. Although I'm I'm not holding my breath because I'm I might not you know come back to life. Uh, by by, how long I'd have to hold my breath on that one. But we, we're we hoping for the best, and we talk about that on the show all the time. But you mentioned Conexus, and so you're one of three co-founders. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Conexus is the first ever commercial spin-out from MIT's math department. The company is in the area of large-scale data integration, building on insights that come out of the field of mathematics that's called category algebra, categorical algebra, or something called enterprise category theory. And to be quite honest, I did have to Wikipedia to sort of look that up, was not familiar with it. So can you explain category algebra in terms of a non-mathematician and maybe give us a, a <clears throat> example that someone can wrap their mind around?
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's it's an important to get into because even though you know what my company does is a so, Connexus, Connexus does a software expression of categorical algebra. It's really beginning to permeate uh, our world. You know the the way I I, I tell my my nieces and nephews is uh, you know what what do quantum computers, smart contracts, and Minecraft all have in common? And the answer is composability. You know they are actually all composable. And what composable is is it, it's a it's kind of related to modularity but it's mm-hmm. modularity without regard to scale so the 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 easy analogy is in trains where yeah you can swap out a box car in a train but mostly cars tra- trains can only get to be a couple of miles long swapping up box cars but the train is really limited in scale whereas the train system the system of a train can be infinitely large infinitely complex at every point in the track, you could have another track. That is the difference between modularity and composability. So uh, Minecraft is infinitely self-referential where you have a whole nother universe that exists in and around uh, Minecraft. In smart contracts, that is actually not enabled without the ability to prove the efficacy, which is then enabled by categorical algebra or its sister Uh, uh, math uh, type theory, uh, which are, they're kind of adjacent. And Mm -hmm. that's similar to quantum computing. So quantum computing is very sexy. It gets in the press quite frequently with porks and all uh, uh, all, all that. If it, uh, uh, you wouldn't be able to prove the efficacy of a quantum compiler. You wouldn't actually, humans can't actually uh, uh, say whether it's true or not without type theory or categorical uh, algebra. How you think of categorical algebra you can think of as a little bit related to graph theory, which my PhD is in. With, with graph theory, is those things that you you see they look like spider webs. If you see the right. visualizations of graph theories, uh, graphs, gra- sorry graphs. Uh, you know, uh, category theory is a little bit related, you might say, uh, to graph theory, but with more structure or more semantics or richness. So in each point, uh, each node, and each edge, in, in the vernacular, you can you can put an infinite amount of information. That's right. really what a categorical uh algebra allows this the discovery uh this was invented to to be translating math between different domains of math the the discovery in 2011 from one of my co-founders who was faculty at MIT's math department was that we could apply that to databases and it's in that that the whole world opens up the you know this solves the problem uh that that bedeviled the good folks trying to work on healthcare.gov it It allows for uh, uh, a good explanation of how we can prevent the next 737 max disaster, where individual systems certainly can be formally verified, but the whole plane doesn't have a mechanism of being formally verified with classic uh, approaches. And it also uh, has application in drug discovery, where we have a way of bringing together hundreds of thousands of databases in a formal way without risk of data being misinterpreted, which is a big deal when you have a 10 year time horizon for FDA trials, right. and you have multiple teams coming in and out of data sets and, and human instinct to, to, to hoard uh, data and, and, and a concern about it ever becoming uh, corrupted, that th- this math and the software expression built upon it uh, uh, opens up just a, a fantastically rich uh, new world of opportunity for uh, uh, for drug discovery and for clinicians and for healthcare delivery and uh, uh, and, the, and the list is you know quite uh, quite
0: deep. So, what does Conexus provide its clients? Is it a service? Is it a technology? Is it both? Can you give us an example of it?
1: Yeah, okay. So Connexus is, is is software. Connexus is enterprise software. It's an enterprise software platform uh that uh works generally with very large organizations with generally very large, complex uh data data infrastructures. Uh you know, the example uh I can start in healthcare and then I can I can move to a, a, a an even bigger one was with a hospital group that we work with in New York City. Uh I didn't even know you know healthcare groups could really have this problem, but uh, they, it's a, it's endemic to really the world's data, where one group within the same hospital uh, had a particular way that they represented uh, diabetes. Now, to a, to a layman, layman in a healthcare sense, I would think, well, there's a definition of diabetes. I can just look it up in the Oxford English Dictionary. But, but there, this, this particular domain uh, uh, found diabetes to just be easily represented as yes, no. Uh, do they have it? Do they not? Another group within the same hospital group uh, thought that they would represent it as diabetes. How are we treating it? You know, a third group would be representing it as diabetes. Uh, you know, how long ago? And maybe a fourth group had some well-meaning uh, uh, clinicians that would uh, characterize it as, well, they had it, now they have less now, or, you know, you know, type one, type two, you know, with, with a more, more nuanced view. The traditional way OF CAPTURING THAT DATA, WHETHER IT'S FOR DRUG DISCOVERY OR WHETHER IT'S FOR DELIVERY, IS TO NORMALIZE IT, WHICH WOULD THEN SQUASH THE FIDELITY OF THE DATA COLLECTED WITHIN THOSE GROUPS, OR THEY MOST LIKELY TO ACTUALLY JUST WOULDN'T DO IT. THEY WOULDN'T COLLECT THE DATA. THEY WOULDN'T BRING THE DATA TOGETHER right. BECAUSE IT'S JUST TOO HARD. IT'S TOO EXPENSIVE. THEY WOULD USE THESE PROCESSES CALLED ETL, uh, EXTRACT transform, LOAD THAT uh, HAVE BEEN AROUND FOR 30 YEARS, BUT ARE OFTEN SLOW, EXPENSIVE, FRAGILE. Uh, get, they could take six months to a year, cost a million dollars, deploy 50 to 100 people, generally from Accenture or Deloitte or Tata or Wipro. You know, that's it's a burden. It's a burden. You know, so uh, the data wasn't available, and that would then impair impair the, the researchers in their ability to, to share data, and it would impair clinicians in their view uh, uh, of uh, uh, of patient of care. And it also impair the 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 people in operations where they would work on billing. So we work with one company right now that that works in, on 1.4 trillion records a year. Uh, uh, they and they just have trouble with that volume and the number of databases, you kind know, of the heterogeneous data infrastructure, uh, of bringing together that data to give them uh, one view that then can facilitate uh, healthcare uh, delivery. So the big the big example is uh, we, we work with Uber where they they have a very smart team as smart as as one might think they also have an effectively infinite balance sheet with which they could fund an ideal i.t infrastructure but despite that you know uber grew up like every other organization optimizing for the delivery of their service or product right and and that doesn't entail optimizing for the IT infrastructure. So, what they found, just like this hospital group with different definitions of diabetes, they found they happened to have grown up around service areas. Yep. So, in this case, cities, more, more or less. So, when then the time came to do analysis, you know, how will, we're just passing Super Bowl weekend, you know, how will the, the Super Bowl uh, affect uh, the, the supply of drivers or the demand from riders? they had to do it for the city of San Francisco, separate than the city of San Jose or the city of Oakland. They couldn't do the whole San Francisco Bay Area region, let alone the whole of the state or the whole of the country or or, or what have you. And that repeated itself for every business question, every organizational question that they would wanna have. This is the same in drug discovery. This is the same in patient care delivery or in billing. These are operational questions are hard shockingly hard we had another one in logistics where we had a logistics company they had a hundred thousand employees i didn't even know how some of these companies could be so big then they they actually had a client with a hundred thousand employees that client had a thousand ships each one of which had ten thousand containers right, right. Containers. And i didn't even know like how big these systems were really i mean it, 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 it didn't, i didn't hadn't thought about it but i mean they're enormous and, they're enormous. and the question to them was hey where's our personal protective equipment where's the ppe and that's actually a hard question to ask. You know, we're, we are uh, uh, th- thinking about maybe our FedEx tracking numbers from an Amazon order, but if you're looking at you know, the PPE and where it is on a container inside of a ship, you know, inside this large company, it's actually a hard question to ask So that's this question that all of these organizations have, in our case, Uber, where they, they, they had a friction in time and in money and in accuracy Uh, asking every one of these business questions. They went then to find, well, how do I solve this problem? Do I use these old tools of ETL uh, from the 80s? Do I use these more modern tools from the 2000s? Uh, They're called RDF or OWL, uh, uh, or is there something else? They discovered that they needed a more foundational system, this categorical algebra that's now expressing itself in smart contracts and quantum computers and, and other places. Uh, and they, they just then they found, oh, who are the leaders in this, the enterprise software expression of that math? And it's us. We happen to be 40 miles north of them, which uh, is fortunate that we worked with Uber to, to solve that problem in bringing together their heterogeneous data infrastructure uh, to solve their problems and to have them tell it, you know, they solve, they, they save uh, you know, 10 million plus a year. in uh, in the efficiency and speed gains uh, from the solution we uh,
0: helped provide for them. Let's pause the conversation for a minute to talk about one small but important thing you can do to help keep the podcast going. And that's leave a rating and review for the show on Apple Podcasts. All you have to do is open Apple Podcast app on your smartphone Search for The Harry Glorickian Show and scroll down to the Ratings and Review section. Tap the stars to rate the show, and then tap the link that says Write a Review to leave your comments. It'll only take 30 seconds, but you'll be doing a lot to help other listeners discover the show. And one more thing. If you like the interviews we do here on the show, I know you'll like my new book, The Future You, How Artificial Intelligence Can Help You Get Healthier, Stress Less, and Live Longer. It's a friendly and accessible tour of all the ways today's information technologies are helping us diagnose disease faster, treat them more precisely, and create personalized diet and exercise programs to prevent them in the first place. The book is now available in print and ebook formats. Just go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble and search for The Future You by Harry Glorickian. And now, back to the show. So your website says you know, that your software can map data sources to each other so that the perfect data model is discovered, not designed. And so what does that mean? I mean, it, does that imply that there's some machine learning or other form of artificial intelligence involved that's sort of saying, here are the right pieces to put together, um, as opposed to let me design this just for you, I'm trying to piece it together,
1: yeah, you know I, the way we might come at this is just reminding ourselves about the structure of artificial intelligence. you know in the in the public discourse, we will often find news. I'm sure you could find it today on deep learning, you know whatever's going on in deep learning because it's sexy, it's yes. fun. Uh, uh, you know, DeepMind really made a name for their, themselves and got got them acquired at a pretty valuation because of their 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 Hollywood esque uh, uh, challenge to go and 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 solving of that game. But that particular domain uh, of AI, deep learning, deep neural nets, is a itself just a subset of machine learning. Right. I, I say just not 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 to minimize it. It's a it's a fantastically powerful algorithm, but but just to place it, it is a subset of, of machine le- learning. And then machine learning itself is a subset of artificial intelligence. Right. That's a probabilistic subset. So we all know what probabilities are. Uh, those are good and bad, uh, you know, fine when the context is digital advertising, less fine when it's the safety of a commercial jet, right? right? Uh, uh, there is another part of artificial intelligence called deterministic artificial intelligence Mm -hmm. they often get expressed as as expert systems those generally got a bad name with the the flops uh, of the early 80s uh and then research and then the flops uh that that flopped because of scale by the way and then the flops in the early 2000s and 10s uh from ibm's ill-fated watson uh experiment the promise did not did not meet the, the the reality it's it's in that deterministic ai that uh, that magic is to be found, uh, especially when in, when when deployed in conjunction with the probabilistic yes. uh, AI. Yeah. That's that's where really the future is holds. I don't, I don't have a re- there's some people who have a religious view of oh it's only going to be a, a a probabilistic world. But my there's many people uh, uh, like myself and 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 not to bring up you know fancy names, but Andrew Ung who's I think a brilliant AI researcher and investor. Uh, also also, you know, shares this view uh, that it's a mix of uh, uh, probabilistic and deterministic AI. What deterministic AI does is it, it, to put it simply, it kind of searches the landscape of all possible connections. So if we knew that, uh, uh, w- w- actually it, it's difference between uh, uh, bottoms up and tops down. Yes. So the traditional way of we'll say uh, integrating things is looking at, for example, that hospital network and saying, oh, wow, we have four definitions of diabetes. Let me go solve this problem and, and create the one that works for our hospital network. Well, then pretty soon you have five standards, right? That's, that's the traditional way that that goes. That's what a top-down looks, that looks like. It's called a golden record often, uh, and, and it rarely works because pretty soon the, 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 what, what happens is uh, the organizations will find again their own need for their own definition uh, of diabetes in most all cases. So that's tops down approach, rarely works. The bottoms up approach says, let's discover the connections between these and okay. we'll, con- we'll discover the relationships. Uh, uh, we don't discover it organically like we depend on people because it's a deterministic AI. We, d- we discover it through a massive uh, uh you know, non-intuitive in some cases, you know, it's just kind of infeasible for us to explore uh, a, a trillion connections. Yep. But what the AI does is it explores a, a factorial number actually is a technical, uh, the, the the technical equation for it, uh, the, a factorial number of of possible paths that then determine the map of relationships between, uh, between entities. So imagine just discovering the the, the, the U.S. highway system. If you did that as a person, it's gonna take a bit. If you had some uh, uh, infinitely fast uh, 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 crawlers, robots discovering the, the, the highway system, infinitely fast, remember, uh, then that's a much more effective way of doing it. That, that gives you some degree of power. That's the difference between bottoms up and tops down. That's the difference between deterministic, really, we might say. Uh, uh, and and probabilistic in some uh, simple way.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm a firm believer of the two coming together. Uh, and again, I, I just look at them as like a box. Of, I always tell people like, it's a box of tools. I need to know the problem. And then we can sort of p- reach in and pick out which set of tools that are going to come together to solve this issue as opposed to this damn word <clears throat> called AI that everybody thinks is one thing that they're sort of throwing at the wall to solve a problem. Um, but you're trying to solve, and I'm going to say data interoperability and on this show, like I've had a lot of people talk about interoperability in healthcare, which I actually believe is, is, you know, you could break the system because things aren't working right. Or I can't see what I need to see across the, you know, two hospitals that I need information from, but you published an essay on Medium about Haven, right? The healthcare collaboration between Amazon, J.P. Yeah. Morgan, Berkshire Hathaway. Yeah. Their goal was to use big data to guide patients to the best performing clinicians and the most affordable medicines. They they originally were going to serve these first three founding companies. I think knowing the people that started it, their vision was bigger than that. There was a huge, you know, to do when it came out. Fireworks and Everything launched in 2018. They hired Atul Gawande, like famous author, surgeon. But then Gawande left in 2020 and, and, you know, the company was sort of quietly, you know, pushed off into the sunset. Your essay argued that Haven likely failed due to data interoperability challenge. I mean, how so? What, what specific challenges do you imagine Haven ran into?
1: You know, it's funny. I, I, I say in the article very gently that I uh, I imagine this is what happened, and it uh, and it's because that I I, I hedge it uh, uh, that that the Harvard Business Review said, oh, well, you're just guessing. Like actually, I wasn't guessing. <laughs> <laughs> so, no. I know I know the people who are doing it, I know the challenges there, but but I'm not going to quote them and get them in trouble and you know they're not authorized to, to, to speak on it. Uh, so I, I perhaps was a little too modest in, in my uh, framing uh, of the conclusion. So this actually is what happened. What happens is, in the same way that we had the difficulty with healthcare.gov, IN the same way that I described these banks having difficulty, uh, heterogeneous data- databases don't like to talk to one another uh, in, in, a, in a variety of different ways. You know, the diabetes example is is true, but it's just one of many, 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 many cases of uh, of data just being collected differently for their own use. It can be as prosaic as first name last name or f dot last name right. it's just that simple you know and how do i bring those together well those are those are called entity resolutions you know those are somewhat straightforward but not a, often 100 uh solvable you know this is just a a pain it's just a it's a it's a pain and you know so the, what what haven gets into is they're just thinking, well we're massive we got like uber we got an effectively infinite balance sheet we got some very smart people we'll solve this problem and you know that this is the some of the problem with with um you know getting ahead of yourself you will know, not won't call it arrogance but again you know, getting ahead of yourself is that you think oh i'll just be able to solve that problem you know credit where credit is due to uber that you know they they looked both deeper uh saying oh this can't be solved at the level of computer science and they looked outside which is often a, a, a really hard organizational exercise. Uh, th- that just didn't happen at Haven. They thought they thought they could, they could solve it themselves and they just didn't. The, the databases, not only could they have had, um, did have um, <laughs> their own structure, but they also were stored in different, you um, could uh, say formats or diff- by different vendors. So you have an SAP database, you have an Oracle database, THAT'S ANOTHER LAYER uh, OF COMPLICATION. And, AND WHEN I SAY THAT THESE these TAKE A MILLION DOLLARS TO CONNECT, THAT'S NOT A MILLION DOLLARS ONE WAY, IT'S ACTUALLY TWO MILLION DOLLARS IF YOU WANT TO CONNECT IT BOTH WAYS. Right. AND THEN WHEN YOU START ADDING FIVE, LET ALONE 50, YOU TAKE 50 FACTORIAL, THAT'S A VERY BIG NUMBER ALREADY. YOU MULTIPLY <laughs> THAT TIMES A MILLION, AND, YOU KNOW, 6 TO 12 MONTHS FOR EACH, AND 100 TO 200 PEOPLE EACH, AND YOU JUST PRETTY SOON IT'S INFEASIBLE Right. uh uh budget the the it just it doesn't it doesn't work uh, the you know the budget for us solving uh solving uber's problem in the traditional way was something on the order of two trillion um you know you just don't you don't do that uh, you know we had a bank in the u.s and the budget for their vision was was a couple of billion like it's just it doesn't work right. uh that's that's what problem that's what happens with haven they have to they'll they'll all they'll get around to it uh but uh but they're slow um like all organizations big organizations are they'll get around to solving this at a deeper level uh you know we we hope that we will remain leaders in database integration when they finally uh, realize that the solution is at a deeper level than their uh than the existing tools
0: so i mean this is not i mean there's a lot of people trying to solve this problem um you know you know it's it's one of those areas where if we don't solve it, I don't think we're gonna get healthcare to the next level to sort of manage the information and manage people and get them what they need more efficiently and drive down cost. Yeah. yeah. Um I and I do believe that EMRs are I don't want to call them junk. Maybe I'm going too far, but I really think that they, you know. If you had decided that you were going to design something to manage patients, that is not the software you would have written to start, Um, you know, hands down, Uh, which I worry about because these places won't. They spend so much putting them in that trying to get them to rip them out and put something in that actually works is challenging. Um, You guys were actually doing something in COVID-19, too, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Yeah. how, How... well, how is that project going? Or uh, I don't know if it's over, but what are you learning about COVID-19 and the capabilities of your software, let's say?
1: Yeah, you know, this is an important point that uh, for anybody that's ever used Excel, we know what it means to get frustrated enough to uh, secretly hard code a cell, you know, not, not keeping a formula in a cell. Yeah. That's what happens in a lot of these systems. So we will continue with uh, electronic medical records to, to bring these together, but they will end up being fragile. Besides slow and expensive to construct, they will end up being fragile because they, they were at some point hard-coded. And, and, and what that, uh, uh, how that then it gets expressed is that the next time some other database standard appears inside of that organization's ecosystem, from a, uh, an acquisition or a divestiture or a different technical standard even emerging, then, then the whole process starts all over again. Right. You know, we just experienced this with a large company that, that spent $100 million in about five years and then and then they, they came to us and are like, yeah, we know it works now, but we know like a year from now, we're gonna have the same, we're gonna <laughs> go through it again. And, and, and it's not like, oh, we'll just have a marginal uh, difference. No, it's again, that factorial issue uh, that one database connected to the other 50 that already exist uh, uh, creates the same problem all over again at a at a order uh, a couple orders of, of of magnitude. So what what we discover is these systems these systems in the organization they will continue to uh, exist these fragile systems they'll continue to exist they'll continue to scale they'll continue to grow in different parts of the life sciences domain whether it's for clinicians whether it's for operations whether it's for drug discovery those will continue to exist they'll continue to expand and they will begin to approach the type of compositional systems that i'm describing from quantum computers or minecraft or or smart contracts where you then need the the discovery and math that connects us that expresses in 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 software for for databases when you need that is when you then need to Prove the e- efficacy, or otherwise demonstrate the lack of fragility or the integrity of the semantics. You know, Connexus will uh, uh, can can with 100 is a law of nature, right? It's in math. When, with 100 accuracy, you know, prove the integrity uh, of a database uh, integration, and that matters in high consequence co- consequence contexts when you're doing uh, something as as uh, uh, as as critical as. Uh, DRUG SIDE EFFECTS uh, FOR DIFFERENT POPULATIONS. YOU KNOW, WE DON'T WANT YOUR DATA TO BE MISINTERPRETED. Uh, YOU CAN'T AFFORD LIVES TO BE LOST OR YOU CAN'T, uh, IN in REGULATION, YOU CAN'T AFFORD DATA TO BE LEAKING. Uh, THAT'S WHERE YOU'LL ULTIMATELY NEED THE CATEGORICAL ALGEBRA. YOU'LL NEED A PROVABLE COMPOSITIONAL SYSTEM. YOU CAN CONTINUE TO CONSTRUCT THESE ONES THAT WILL BEGIN TO APPROACH COMPOSITIONALITY, BUT WHEN YOU NEED THE MATH IS WHEN YOU NEED TO PROVE IT for either uh, the high consequence context of, of lives, of money, uh, or related to that uh, of, of regulation. Yeah,
0: well, I keep telling my kids, make sure you're proficient in math because you're going to be using it for the rest of your life. Um, and finance. I always remind them about finance because I think both go together. But um, you've got a new book coming up. It's called The Future is Formal and not tuxedo-like formal, but like you're using the word (laughs) formal and I think you have a very specific meaning in mind. And I do want you to talk about, but I think what you're referring to is how we want automated systems to behave, meaning everything from advertising algorithms to self-driving trucks. And you can tell me if that, my assumption is correct or not.
1: No, it's a great segue actually from the math. You know, what I'm trying to do is bring in uh uh, people that are not programmers or research uh, technology uh, information technology researchers day to day into the conversation around automated digital systems that's my motivation and my motivation is is uh, uh is powered by the belief that uh we will bring out the best of the technology with more people engaged and with more people engaged we have a chance to embrace it and not resist it. You know, my my greatest fear, I will say, uh, you know, selfishly is that we come up with technology that people just reject. They just just veto it because they don't understand it. Uh, uh, As a citizen, uh, that also presents a danger because I think that the companies, commercial expressions naturally uh, will uh, grow towards where their technology is needed. So this is actually uh, to some extent a threat Uh, TO WESTERN SECURITY uh, RELATIVE TO CHINESE COMPETITION THAT WE EMBRACE uh, THE TECHNOLOGY IN THE WAY THAT WE WANT IT TO BE EXPRESSED uh, IN OUR SOCIETY. SO I'M TRYING TO BRING PEOPLE INTO THIS CONVERSATION, EVEN IF THEY'RE NOT PROGRAMMERS. Uh, THE the CONNECTION TO MATH IS THAT, YOU KNOW, THERE ARE 18 MILLION COMPUTER PROGRAMMERS IN THE WORLD. Uh, WE DON'T NEED 18 MILLION IN ONE, uh, YOU KNOW, BUT WHAT WE DO NEED IS WE DO NEED PEOPLE TO BE THINKING uh, I SAY IN A FORMAL WAY, uh, but, BUT ALSO JUST BE THINKING ABOUT the, the, THE VALUES THAT ARE GOING TO BE REPRESENTED IN THESE DIGITAL INFRASTRUCTURES. YOU KNOW, SOMEWHERE AS A SOCIETY, WE WILL HAVE TO HAVE A CONVERSATION WITH OURSELVES TO DETERMINE THE CAR DRIVING TO THE CROSSWALK, uh, uh, braking OR ROLLING OR SLOWING or, OR STOPPING COMPLETELY, AND THEN WHO'S LIABLE IF IT DOESN'T. Uh, is it the driver? Is it the manufacturer? Is it the, the programmer that, that somehow put a bug in their code? Uh, you know, we're entering an age where uh, we, we are, we're going to start experiencing what, what some person calls double bugs. Uh, there's the bug in, uh, in, in maybe one's expression in code. This often could be the semantics. UH JUST the, OR OR IN ENGLISH LIKE YOUR ENGLISH does not MAKE SENSE RIGHT <laughs> uh, uh, RIGHT OR OR WAS IT ACTUALLY AN ERROR IN YOUR THINKING YOU KNOW YOU DID YOU LEAVE DID YOU LEAVE A GAP IN YOUR THINKING UH th- th- THIS IS OFTEN WHERE WHERE SOME OF THE BUGS IN ETHEREUM AND SMART CONTRACTS HAVE HAVE BEEN EXPRESSED WHERE YOU KNOW THERE'S AN OLD PROGRAMMING UH RULE WHERE YOU YOU DON'T WANT TO SAY SOMETHING EQUALS TRUE YOU ALWAYS WANT TO BE SAYING TRUE EQUALS SOMETHING UH IF YOU GET THAT IF YOU DO THE the, the former, not the latter, you can have to actually create bugs that can create security breaches. Just a it's small uh, little error in thinking. That's not an error in semantics. That level of thinking, you don't need to know calculus for, or right. category theory for that matter. You just need to be thinking in a formal way. You know, often often lawyers, accountants, engineers, um, you know, anybody with scientific training can can more quickly get this idea where, where those that are educated in liberal arts can contribute is in reminding themselves of the broader context that wants to be expressed because often engineers can be overly reductionist. Right. So there's really right. a, there's a push and pull or you know an interplay yep. between those two sensibilities that then we want to express in rules. And that's ultimately what I mean by formal, formal yep. rules. Tell me exactly what you mean. Tell me exactly how that is going to work. You know physicians would understand this when they think about uh, drug effects and drug side effects they know exactly what it's going to be uh, supposed to be doing you know with some degree of probability but they can be very clear very clear about it it's that clear thinking that all of us will need to exercise as we think about the development and deployment of modern automated digital systems
0: yeah, I'm you know, it's funny because that's the other thing I tell people like when they say, What should my kid take? I'm like, have them take a, a you know, a basic programming thing. Not because they're gonna do it for a living, but they'll understand how this thing is structured and they can get wrap their mind around how it is. And you know, I, I see how my nephew thinks, who's from the computer science world, and how I think. And sometimes, you know, it, it's funny watching him think or or one of the CTOs of one of our companies how he looks at the world. And I'm like, you you got to back up a little bit and look at the bigger picture, right? Um, and so it's the two of us coming together that make more magic than one or the other by themselves. Um, so, you know, I want to jump back sort of to the different roles you've had in your career. like, Like you said, you've been a technology investor, a serial startup founder, a university professor, an academic administrator, an entrepreneur, a management instructor, presidential innovation fellow. I don't think I've missed anything, but I may have. Um, you're uh, also a speaker, a commentator, an author. Um, which one of those is most rewarding? Oh,
1: that's an interesting uh, question. Uh which one of those is most rewarding i, I am not sure i i I, uh, I i find it to be rewarding with my uh, to be with my friends and family so it's it's rewarding to be with people uh i find that to be rewarding in those particular expressions my motivation is to be uh, you know just bringing people in to have a conversation about what we want our world to look like you know the degree to which the the technologies that i work with every day are closer to uh the the dystopia of hollywood narratives or closer to uh our hopes around uh uh, the the utopia that's possible that where this is in that in that spectrum is up to us in our conversation uh around what these things want to look like we have we have some glimpses of both extremes uh but i'd like people and i find it to be rewarding to just be Uh, uh, helping facilitate the uh, helping catalyze that conversation so the catalyst of that conversation in whatever form it takes uh, is where I enjoy uh, being
0: yeah because I was thinking about like you know what can what can you know you do as an individual that shapes the future you know does any of these roles stand out more impactful than others let's say
1: I, I think the future is in this notion of composability. Uh, I feel strongly uh, about that, and I want to enroll people into this paradigm as a as a framework from which to see many of the activities going around us. Uh, why have nfts come on uh, uh, the public the, 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 in the public media so quickly? you know why? The, the, the crypto care, cri- cryptocurrency capture our imagination. Those are those are uh, and TikTok and the metaverse. You know, those are all uh, expressions of this quick uh, reconfiguration of patterns in different contexts mm-hmm. that themselves are going to become easier and easier to express. You know, the future is going to be owned by people that that take the special knowledge that they've acquired and then put it into uh, short business expressions i'm going to call them rules uh that then can be recontextualized and and redeployed this is i, I you know my version of uh of, of what or my abstraction of what people call uh the 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 future being uh, just all tiktok it's it's not literally that we're all going to be doing short dance videos it's that tiktok is is an expression of people creating short bits of content and then having those be reconfigured and, uh, and redistributed. That can be in medicine, uh, it, it can, or you know, clinical practice, or in drugs. Uh, but it can be in any range of expertise, uh, expertise uh, or 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 knowledge. That and what's changed, what's change, and what is changing is the different technologies that are being brought to bear to capture that knowledge, so that it can be. Uh, 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 scalable so it can be compositional yeah that's what's changing that's what's going to be changing over the next 10 to 20 years the more you study that uh i think the better off we will be and i would say you know for for my my way of thinking about math uh you might say the more math the better uh but if i were to choose for my children i would say i would replace trig and geometry and even calculus some people will be happy to know with <laughs> categorical algebra, category theory, and with probability and statistics. So I would replace calculus, uh, which I think is really the math of the 20th century with something more appropriate to our digital age, which is uh, categorical algebra.
0: I will tell my son because I'm sure he'll be very excited to, to, to if I told him that not calculus. But he's not going to be happy when I say go to this other area, because I think you'd like it's to easier. get together all together. It's easier
1: than calculus. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so. Um it, you know it was great having you on the show I feel like we could talk for another hour on all these different aspects um you know I'm hoping that your company is truly successful and that you help us solve this interoperability problem which is you know I I've been t- I've been talking about it forever it seems like I feel like you know the last 15 or 20 years um yeah. and I'm I'm still worried if we're any closer to solving that problem, but, um, I'm hopeful. Uh, and, uh, I wish you great success on the launch of your new book. It sounds exciting. I'm going to have to get myself a copy.
1: Thank you very much. It's been, uh, it's been fun. It's going to be with you.
0: Thank you. That's it for this week's episode. You can find a full transcript of this episode, as well as the full archive of episodes of the Harry Glorikian show and Moneyball Medicine at our website. Go to glorikian.com and click on the tab Podcasts. I'd also like to thank our listeners for boosting The Harry Glorikian Show into the top 3% of global podcasts. If you want to be sure to get every new episode of the show automatically, be sure to open Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast player and hit follow or subscribe. Don't forget to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And we always love to hear from listeners on Twitter, where you can find me at hglerikian. Thanks for listening, stay healthy, and be sure to tune in two weeks from now for our next interview.